How's everybody doing this morning? Good? That was a good work. Can we give it up for the worship team? That was, I mean, that was a, it's, it's, sometimes, you know, it's one of those worship sets that you don't want to come out of, you know what I'm saying? It feels good. It feels calming. Um, it, it, I, I, you know, I, I come up here and I, I always feel like energetic and stuff like that. And, and I feel like, man, I don't want to, it's such a soothing atmosphere, right? It's just going to be awkward if I get up here like, ah, you know, so, but I, it worked out. It worked out. Um, I got Eddie sitting here in the front row. He's going to hold me accountable this morning. So um, I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> not share these testimonies uh, that I had listed here, but it's all right. We'll get them next week. No, I'm just kidding. I hope everybody's doing good. My name is Moises. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here. Um, and we're just so thankful to be here. We're going to continue our sermon series and get, get right back to where we left off last week. Uh, we started the sermon series last week called You Have Heard It Said. And, 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 and in it, we're considering this concept of conventional wisdom um, that was imparted by Jesus that as he confirms, corrects, and reestablishes ways of thinking about things and our behavior in life. Um, last week, we spoke about the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, all right? And, and that story ends with Jesus not only forgiving the woman, but telling the woman, go and sin no more. And I left us with this idea that, that when we grow in relationship with God, change is not only something that will take place, but it will be something that God is going to expect from us as well, right? So, you know, it... It has this effect in our lives that, that tends to orchestrate in a way that we never could have imagined. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm one of those people that look at myself back in the day and those pictures and I cringe a little bit. You know, you're laughing because you do the same thing. Because um, I, I look way different than I used to. I mean, you know, I, 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 my, I used to have a different haircut, you know. I used to be taller. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, they say the older you get, the more you shrink, right? So. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of dreading the days where I shrink because, uh, you know, I'll end, end up being like 4'11 one day or something. There's nothing wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with being 4'11, but anyways, if, if, you, if, you, if you haven't heard the sermon, you, you always have the opportunity to go in our podcast and, and catch that. But, you know, um, God has a way of changing our lives and, and we, 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 we instantly change and, and, and become different. It's, 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 uh, it's crazy how it works out. Um, today we'll be diving into one of my favorite parables in scripture. We're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. And um, if you have your Bibles, turn to, those, turn to the Bible with me because the story begins with essentially a lawyer asking Jesus a super essential question. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 25 to 29. I'll have the, the scripture on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you could turn to it with me. Um, if you ever have questions about what Bible translation I use, just ask me. Sometimes I jump from different ones and stuff like that. You know, most of the time I use the New Living Translation, but at times I'll, I'll go with the NIV and the American Standard, and I do different ones like that. So anyways, let's read Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. 
But he, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Amen? Now, let, let's make sure that we, that we see this and apply it. A lawyer is asking Jesus on verse 25, how do I inherit eternal life? Which is a pretty significant question. You know, he's not really being sincere. And actually, the Bible says in that same verse that he was trying to trick Jesus, you know, or, or, or catch him, you know, test him in one way or the other. But Jesus puts the question back on him on verse 26, essentially putting the lawyer back on the spot and saying, hey, what does the law say and how do you interpret the law? And he says, well, you just love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Jesus exposes him then and says, so you practically knew the answer to this and you were just asking me. But the lawyer sees that he's been exposed through the, through the text. So he decides to double down and say, Jesus, then, who is my neighbor? All right. In other words, like a lot of us would say in a lot of ways, it is not that simple, God. You ask us to do things all the time, and it is just not that easy, essentially, is what he's alluding to here. We tend to have the same reaction in a lot of ways when we're being asked from God to do different things in life. When God is directing us to do something specific that is dear and near to our hearts, we say, but Jesus, it's not easy. It's complicated. There's a lot more that goes into it. What kind of people are we really supposed to love? What qualifies a person to be my neighbor? Who is the person that I'm supposed to love unconditionally like that? Which one? Every race? Every age, even the crazy ones? <laughs> There's no crazy people here. <laughs> oh, man. People are just staring at each other, and uh, it's just... <laughs> You know, it, it's amazing to me how as Christians, we have such a hard time finding ways to love one another because of our differences. We have overcomplicated things to want with one another in, in this attitude of so-called so justification of the fact that that person tends to act like this and I just can't handle dealing with them. And, and, and frankly, these reasons come from two main places. It's either selfishness on our part or evil. Okay, Because our culture sadly continues to shift from a place of honor to a place of shame. Values were once held above current conditions, but not any longer. We were able to overcome a lot of these things, knowing that the gospel of Jesus was commanding us to. That it was much needed for the individual to be impacted more so than how they were as a person. We must be so cautious that we don't let the evil experiences of our past dictate how we express this gospel forward. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin or hardened against God. We don't think so 
But a lot of ways, when we have experiences in life that are negative or bad, and we use those experiences to justify a negative behavior, we're not going forth to what God wants. We're actually hardening our hearts towards God himself. Our churches today are so internally focused sometimes. They're so internally focused and they've driven this so hard on themselves that they've moved away, so far away from the original call that God intended them to have in the first place. We are sadly over-inspiring people while at the same time under-preparing them. And it's not that inspiration, it's not necessarily that, that it is a bad thing, but it can't be our entire source of what we do. Inspiration is enough to get us started. However, it might not be enough to, get, to keep us going. We, we have to prepare ourselves and allow God to work within us so that we may answer the call and answer it truthfully. It takes more than dedication and inspiration to lead a church to grow. It takes skill. It takes preparation. It takes willingness. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, If an axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is need needed, but skill will bring success. Oh. Skill, not just dedication and inspiration, will bring success. We read that verse and we say, well, if it's dull, we just got to press harder and go stronger and go heavier and double down. No, skill, preparation brings success. There's a caring aspect to this faith that you and I proclaim that will surpass our wants, our desires, and even trump the bad experiences that we have had. And these opportunities that should not be taken, these are opportunities that take effect in our lives that should not be taken for granted. You know why? Because they help us to see things through the eternal lens of God. That person next to you is not as bad as you're making them out to be. That's not how God sees them. I'll tell you a life hack. Every now is an eternity if it is full of God. That's an eternal lens. Every now is an eternity if it is full of God. In other words, if you're doing the job that God is calling you to do, every moment is an eternity. Amen? Don't miss the goodness of each day by worrying about tomorrow. What I love about the word care is that it's a word that is genuine. You can't fake it. If I tell you I care for you, I have to do it. I can't just say that. Many times crisis in our lives only serve to reveal the genuineness of people's faith. But sadly, we have created this concept within our lives where the ultimate goal is what? Comfort and convenience. That's what we strive for. That's what we live for. We go to school. We, we set up 401ks. We, we build our entire lives based on the fact that the end game is supposed to be comfort and convenience. 
And while there's nothing wrong with comfort and convenience, these cannot be elements that drive who we are as believers in Christ. You guys are so quiet today. You know, did, did you know that the comfort zone is the biggest enemy of the human potential? It usually doesn't drive you to do much. It's every, if everything's taken care of, if everything is done, if every, we usually don't have anything that drives us. So it becomes the biggest enemy of our potential moving forward. This faith that we live will cause us to go outside of our norms, especially when dealing with other people. There is no selfish angle of faith here that we can follow. This is not a personal gospel. The gospel is inclusive, not exclusive. And because of it, we must make room for it. There is no neutral ground here. You cannot avoid or stay away from it. Because if you do, you will miss the life-changing moment that you were called to experience. There's no such thing as simply standing by, guys. No bystanders. C.S. Lewis said this, and I wrote this quote, and it's so powerful. He says, there's no neutral grounds in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. There's no neutral ground here. One thing is being claimed by one or counterclaimed by the other. You think you're just bystanding and you're not. It's being counterclaimed by something else. There is no neutral grounds. And sometimes that neighbor will look like our enemy. They will look different than us. They may even say things that we despise the most, but that should not stop us from embracing them. I love the idea that we must remember that the Spirit of God works within us and has been given to us as a form of personal inward conviction, not for outward critique. You received the Spirit of God and didn't become an accreditation body for the gospel of Jesus. You don't walk in to dictate what works and what doesn't work. The Spirit of God works within us to create conviction that works inwardly, not outwardly to critique. You are not the accreditation body of heaven. Sorry. I know you know that you know. I know that the experiences that you had, you know how you're so connected to God that you know things need to be a certain way. But God hasn't called you to put order in anyone's lives. All right? If there's any conviction, it should work inwardly. It should start with you. It should affect you personally. Amen? You know, I, I, I learned that very early on in my marriage. Because my wife and I were really different. We're still are, actually. I, what am I kidding? But it, it just practically, even practically, after being married 16 years, all right? I'm older than I look. I'm telling you. I, I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. My wife and I, listen, we, you think that, yeah, I mean, you guys are both Hispanics. What's the diversity there? You know, like, let me give you some, <laughs> let me give you some knowledge there for a second. Um, it's, 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 it's not tomatoes, tomatoes here, guys. It's more like apples and oranges, okay? Um, 
So, so we, we, you know, my wife is from Mexico City. I'm from Puerto Rico. That's, first of all, geographically speaking, that's, that's on two different sides of the world. Let's, let's, let's start there, okay? So listen, you would think, well, easy. Two Hispanics got married. They're going to live happily ever after. Nope. It doesn't work that way. Rosie and I had to find common ground in the English language to understand each other. <laughs> doesn't make any sense, does it? But I'm telling you, she would say things to me in Spanish, and I'll be like, what are you talking about? I will say things to her in Spanish, and we wouldn't know what we're talking about. We had to talk in Spanish to, to understand what we were saying to each other. You're like, you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, it is different. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it just, we came together and it was something that I had to understand that I have to work towards to, to begin to understand. Now she's in, now I've influenced, I've been, I've influ, influenced her life and she's influenced mine, right? So now I say Mexican stuff and then she says Puerto Rican stuff and then we both understand each other to the point where our families don't understand us now, right? <laughs> So we become this weird unit of people. Um, I, 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 I tell you a story. I, I, she calls, um, in Mexico, we called uh, the ironing board an ironing board in Spanish, okay? Uh, in Mexico, they called it a donkey. Because <laughs> I guess the donkey's back. So... I was, I was visiting my family in Puerto Rico and my uncle was letting me stay at his house. And my uncle said to me, I'm looking to iron my shirt. And I said, uncle, do you have a donkey where I can iron my shirt? And my uncle, my, my family, they're bullies, okay? And that's what I grew up. I'm not saying right or wrong. That's just the way I grew up. My uncle, go, he loses it. I mean... He's making fun of me forever now. He's like, he calls my mom and he said, hey, your son is looking for a donkey. Can you please help? And it's just, he wouldn't stop, okay? <laughs> That's just to give you an example of the differences. Now, I'm gonna tell you the, the Hispanic, the, Mex the, the Mexican language in Spanish is a lot more proper than the Spanish in Puerto Rico, okay? We, we say, I, I know, we, 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 we speak a more, slang type, at least where I'm from. So anyways, let's get back into it. You get it, right? Diversity is a crazy thing. Um, so, so the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And how does Jesus answer that? Obviously, he doesn't like the question because Jesus wasn't in the business of creating division among people. He wasn't trying to give him a detailed breakdown of what would count and what wouldn't count. So he avoids the question, and without answering, he decides that instead he's going to share a parable that changes the question. Let's continue to read in verse 30 and 37. Verse 32, 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and and departed, leaving him half dead. I love this verse. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Let's just stop there for a second. Now by chance. 
it is almost making this insinuation that it was luck that a pastor was coming. Lucky him. Good for him, there's a pastor coming. He was half dead, but by chance, a priest was going. All his problems were going to be resolved. He was going to encounter the compassion that he needed. All his wounds were going to be healed because there was a priest coming. The right person at the right moment. How lucky could this guy be that after he's beaten down half to death, but by chance there's a priest coming to really help him out. And that's not what we see here, sadly. It says, but now by chance, a priest was coming down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, Ricky was on the way. I already talked about me, Ricky. You know, I was a you know. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever... Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, said to him, you go and do likewise. So the parable begins with the lawyer trying to justify himself by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus ends up reversing that question and saying, out of this three, who do you think was your neighbor? You could write 10 sermons about this. I mean, the different topics and all that it breaks down in this context. But what I want you to see here is crucial. Is Jesus tells a story that changes the question from what kind of neighbor should I interact with to what kind of person am I going to be? He changes the question from what status of people are worthy of my love to how can I become the kind of person whose compassion disregards status. The focus shifts. The question about the kind of man dying on the street has gone out the window. Did you notice that? The parable doesn't even talk anymore about the guy that almost died. The story starts to develop into what kind of people are we going to be? The first two felt no compassion. The, the, the Samaritan had a different kind of spirit, a different kind of compassion, and he stepped up to the plate and did what he was being called to do. Jesus puts the emphasis on who we should become and, 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 and being this new kind of person. In other words, if this does not hit, hit home for you and I, then our hearts are missing a little bit of compassion. 
This is exactly what Jesus died for. This is the promise of the new covenant. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, A new heart I also I will also give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. There is a compassionate heart that God wants to deposit in our lives. Jesus even said in the Last Supper, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. There is something new that should turn our lives to be able to see others with a different kind of lens that goes beyond the way they act that aggravates us or the inconvenience of their current season in life. The, the, those who follow Jesus all the way up to the cross will get there and see him praying for our new hearts. Hearts built with compassion, with care for other people. So what kind of people are we? Do we have the heart of compassion or has that gone out the window for us as individuals for one reason or another? Has the world and the evil things that we've experienced, the news channels that we watch, the people that we encounter in the highway or on the road, has that completely transformed our hearts to not see people with the compassionate heart that Jesus placed within us? Where has our compassion gone? The word compassion literally means to suffer with. It's not something you're passionate about. It has nothing to do with convenience. It's very far from comfort. It is not meant to be easy. In fact, our compassion for others will often come through our own experience of pain. You may die. It should be easier than this. No, it's not. Life hack number two. If it is easy, somebody else already did it. Do the difficult things and work hard at them because that is what God is calling us to do. A heart of compassion for others is not silent care. Yes, it starts internally, but eventually it is something that continues to become an outward expression of our lives. We need to stop saying how much we care and start showing how much we care. It's practical. I can't tell my wife I love her and then be abusive to her and then tell her I love her again. Eventually, I have to show that. Amen? You see the Samaritan caring for this person in multiple ways. You think, so I just have the heart of compassion. So Moises, are you saying, all I need to do is when a situation presents itself, I just cry. Because I feel bad. Not necessarily. You see the Samaritan, he cared mentally. The Bible says, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He cared for him physically. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Number three, he also cared for them financially. He handed the innkeeper two silver coins and doubled down and said, if more was spent on my way back, I'll pay you that too. You're like, but this guy had it going on. Did he? Do we know that? Was, was he in the perfect position to help? Was it convenient for him to stop in his journey and take a side road 
put, use his animal to carry this guy, spend money, do all the things that he's doing in order to be a blessing to someone else. There are multiple ways that we have the opportunity to take care of other people. But we miss those opportunities by going on the other side of the road because we're too busy or whatever the case may be. We have found ways to justify our lack of involvement in the church, guys. Because obviously your life is harder than their life, right? You had it, you, you're more busy than I am. All right, Eddie, your life is harder than mine. <laughs> That's how we justified it. We literally, are, we'll tell ourselves, we, we'll, we'll one-up one another. Man, I wasn't able to sleep last night. I'm telling you, I haven't slept in three days. <laughs> we'll, we'll just like one-up one another. And we live in that world. Man, I've been so busy. I got sick. The kids got sick. Then my mom got sick. Then everybody got sick. I was in the hospital. I had surgery. You know, and it's just like, whoa. <laughs> we have found ways to just justify one another. And, and, and in that process, we, we don't get involved. We don't do what we're called to do. We, situations present themselves before our eyes, which we're being called to act and be the first line of defense, the first responders to an issue, and we say, ah, and you know, I gotta go to work tomorrow. And it, it, it's our experiences that have taught us that. It's, it's our life that has shown us that that's how we need to react. I always tell the story of, we were driving in Puerto Rico down this road by the beach, and there was this rumor in Puerto Rico that they were hijacking cars and stuff like that, so you had to be really careful. It was nighttime, and I think we were going with my parents coming from somewhere. It was late at night, and I remember like today, I, was, I had to have been like six years old or something, sitting in the back seat of the car, um, and, and this lady comes out naked, jumps in the middle of the road with bandages on her arm, and she says, help, 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 okay? And I'm sitting there freaked out. My brother's next to me, my mom and my dad are in the front seat, and every single car went around her. One after another, I can remember a time today. She stood there in the middle of the road and every single card went around her. A line of 15 cars, not one stopped because their life experiences has taught them to be careful, to be watchful to the point where they refuse to risk anything for the sake of someone else. There was this rumor there was this, including my dad, who was a pastor, for the sake of protecting his own family, he takes the car and goes around the lake. There was this rumor that it would be an act, that the person will come out, trick you to pulling over your car, and guys will come out from the woods with guns and rob you. And it was a, a repetitive thing happening that was very common, okay? That was happening at the time. Word got around and people never got the help, even when they needed it. Past experiences that dictate who we are. God's assignment for our lives will not always make sense. It may not even be convenient, but there may even be times where risk will be involved. 
We want the benefit without putting in the work. Frederick Wilcox said, progress will always involve risk. You can steal second base if you keep your foot on first base. I know it's a blind kind of trust when there's a lot of things we're trying to balance with our family, with our future, with what we want to accomplish as individuals. But there is a particular calling from God that is risky. That's going to force us to go out of our way, to step out in an area where we're not comfortable. The truth is people who succeed in life are the people who are willing to do what they don't feel like doing. They are not mastered by their mood. They are mastered by the master. And they establish their goals and their plans according to God's will in their lives. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is being sent out to the house of a Roman officer in the midst of persecution, literally called to an enemy's house, risking the idea of being arrested. Embracing a call like this is not easy. We read Peter saying in verse 17, in verse 19, he says, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean, he said. Sometimes we act ignorant towards God. Like, no, you're not wanting me to do that, do you? That sounds kind of crazy, God. You sure that's what it is? I'm kind of, yeah, this doesn't sound right. Verse 19, it says, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, he was perplexed and puzzled. Really, God? But guess what? That doesn't stop him. Peter goes and fulfills the assignment from God. And in verse 24, it says, the following day, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled, pulled him up and said, stand up. I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, listen to this. You know it is against our law for Jewish men to enter a Gentile home like this or, us, or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came out without objection as soon as I was sent. Man, if we live by that principle, our communities would be impacted. If we said to ourselves, I am just a human being like you. I will no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. There's a difference between being bold and being bold with focus. You meet a lot of people who are bold in this life, but hardly do you ever meet people that are bold with focus, with direction, with purpose from God. Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, do not go where the path may lead, Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Serving others isn't just a nice thing to do when we have time or when the urgent call from God 
you know, no, it, it, it is a priority from God. You never know the life that you're impacting. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, now, and I'll read it up here. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. You never know the impact. You think you're helping someone, but that person may be helping you. It may be, it may be a test of God for your own life. None of us can help everyone, but all of us can help someone. Don't let the offense of anyone get in the way of the purpose that God has for your life. Offenses are an event. Getting offended is a choice. This parable emphasizes the true faith and obedience the kind that leads to spiritual salvation and genuine relationship with Christ includes an active compassion for those who are in need. Notice that Jesus never answered the question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he, he basically told the lawyer, reach out and be a neighbor. Go and do likewise. To find a way to be proactive in helping and serving other people. Our call to love God is also a call from God to love other people. That is not something that we could avoid in this faith because the new heart and the new life that Christ gives us should produce love, mercy, and compassion for those hurting, in trouble, distress, facing difficulties in life. That's why we encounter those situations. Those who profess to be Christians yet are unmoved by the needs and suffering on others prove that they're not really following the Christ-like model. Listen, it happens to me. I sometimes stand in front of a tragic situation and I'm numb to it. Because of the way it's being given to me, because of what I'm seeing it through, because of the division in one side versus the other. And I'm thick-skinned about it. Does it happen to you? There are times that we get so caught up in what's taking place in the surrounding that we become numb to the need. And we're being called to be the ones to step up and help, and yet, we have the boldness to walk away. To put that in a condition that it doesn't involve me. I'm not the person for the job. 1 John 3, 16, 19 says, By this way we know love, that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in words or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before God, before him. One of the things that worries me the most about this scripture is that the group that didn't have compassion were, were those directly connected to God. 
the example that Jesus uses are priests and Levites, people of the church, people of knowledge in one way or another. That's scary. Because if that's the example Jesus needed to use to leave for us to understand today is because we have a deficiency within the body of caring for others. So much so that a Samaritan was an enemy. And the Bible makes an emphasis that the enemy was the only one that would help. This compassion Jesus took ab talked about knew no boundaries. He didn't prejudge. You know, as you know, Rosie and I have this heart for adoption. And one of the things that impacted me the most the other day while I was sitting on a call, the fact that one of the things that make Rosie and I a good candidate is that we're not picky. It moves us to the top of the list because they want you to pick of color, age, scenario, and they give you all these options. And the lady is surprised because Rosie and I say, no, we don't care. No, it doesn't matter. Because I cannot walk away from a need when it's presented before me at this level. That's where my heart is. She's like, oh, you don't care? No. And I'm watching people after people on the Zoom call say, but what if I travel a lot and, and can I, but what if the per? what if this and what if that? And I'm building compassion within me saying, how can people partialize their compassion towards a need like this when we're all here for a purpose? I told the lady, I said, you put the first picture in front of me and I'm probably going to pick that one. It's going to be hard for me to flip a page. It's going to be hard for me to say, nah, maybe another one. This is just one example, friends. The truth is that if you don't, if you and I don't take a stance for something, we will end up falling for anything. Being in a difficult scenario while you find a way to serve others may be the most courageous thing you will ever do. Stop waiting for your life to get better and start doing what God is calling you to do for others. I'll, I'll finish up with this. I looked at my son's birth mother while she was carrying my son in her belly. And I said to her, in faith, I said, this is the bravest, boldest decision that you'll ever make in your life. This is the best thing you've ever done for that little one that you haven't met yet. When people in our home, in our work, in our neighborhood, see us trusting God in the middle of our suffering, they're going to be amazed and they're going to be attracted. They're going to want more of that. The thief on the cross, while Jesus was suffering, said, come on, man. Don't you see that we're paying for things that we actually did, but this guy didn't do any of this? 
that thief was moved by the compassion of Jesus while he was suffering. No water baptism, no communion, no profession of faith. Took the doctrines out the window and said, this very day you will be with me in paradise. All that it took is that he saw, he had an encounter with the maker of the inclusive gospel in his most painful place. Wow. Jesus in his most painful place, probably dealing with all sorts of pains, and these two guys beside him arguing. Do you imagine? You probably like, guys, would you shut up already? I want to get this over with. This hurts. No, not Jesus. In the middle of his suffering, he looks at him and says, today you'll be with me. That's the heart of compassion. Which one will you be? We all have our unique situations. You know my call and what I walk with my wife. What is yours? Has life been too rough? Do you got the mask that you're in? Wait for the end of the service to tell me what justifies your decision making. I don't want to hear it. Bring that before God and be the people that God have called you to be so that others may benefit from the same goodness, the same mercy that we all have experienced. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. God, it's, it's never going to be as easy. It's never going to be easy to be as compassionate as you were. But Jesus, you have modeled this for us and showed us that we should go and do likewise. So this morning, I pray that you would spark within us a desire to identify a need for someone and to be for someone else. Jesus, we, we, we know that we fail at this constantly on a day-to-day -day basis, but today, Lord, we just pray that you would give us the opportunity to reignite within us this heart of compassion for other people, one that is not based on the horrible bad experiences that we've had, one that is not based on the selfishness of our heart, but one that is directed by you and follows your lead. You have, you have put us before these situations to make an impact. So God, I pray that you would move the hearts, not for my sake, not for the sake of this church, but for the sake of those lives that are encountered daily. People that need it. It's not about our troubles. It's not about our pain. It's about being there for the need of others a principle that you give us, God. So this morning we embrace it and we thank you and we pray that you would give us focus in our boldness so that we may, we may accomplish so much for your kingdom so that we may glorify you and answer the call. Thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning?